Matthew chapter 21. We're going to read verses 7 through 9. Matthew 21, 7 through 9. And they brought the ass and the colt and put on them their clothes. And they, and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitude that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. This is speaking the last week of Jesus' earthly life. This was the Sunday before he would rise again the following Sunday. This is what we call Palm Sunday. This is what we also call the triumphant entry. And it speaks of the last week of, of Jesus' life. A very important time. Everything in Jesus' life was important, but everything was in a, in a fulfillment of prophecy and scriptures because he was the anointed one, the chosen one of the Lord. And everything was done according as God had foretold that it would be done. I'm just going to read this, y'all. This, this account is given in all four of the Gospels. All four talk about the Palm Sunday and this triumphal entry. I'm going to read this from John 12. On the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. You know, these palm branches, we just maybe not give it much thought about What's the big deal with palm branches? Palm branches were significant. Uh, palm branches are a token of rest. Palm branches are a token of rest and peace after a time of sorrow. So think about it for just a minute. Palm branches, that they were strong in the way and that they were holding and waving as Jesus was riding into Jerusalem. Palm branches are a token of rest and peace. After a time of sorrow. This is a long awaited Messiah that's come. This is him. This is he. Jesus Christ. And Jesus said unto, unto the people. says come unto me all you that labor and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. And they're waving the palm branches. I don't know that the people understood completely. Obviously they didn't. What was, what was taking place here. But this is interesting. We're going to talk about Palm Sunday. We're going to talk about this day. And this specific event this morning. Today we celebrate Palm Sunday. And a week from now. Next Sunday. If we're not raptured by then. We're going to be celebrating the resurrection. Of the Lord Jesus Christ. A lot happens between the time he rode in. And the time he rose from the dead. He paid the price for our sins. And the sins of the whole world. But at the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles. Hosanna was a term. That the people would use. And I didn't know all this exactly. But Hosanna is what they cried when Jesus was riding, right? Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna is the, the King of David, uh, the Son of David. And they would, during the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days, once a day, the people would circle the altar. Circle the altar. And they would be saying Hosanna, either singing it or chanting Hosanna. And on the eighth day, this was known as the Great Hosanna. They would circle the altar seven times. And 
It's interesting that all of those types and shadows, everything about that Hosanna and the altar, even that was there, it all typified Christ. It all pointed to Christ. In fact, it says in Hebrews 13, 8, we as the believers have an altar which where they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. We have an altar in Christ. We have a place where we can meet the Lord, where the blood has been shed. And we can meet with the Lord right there. We have that altar. All of it was pointing to Christ. Amen. And so the word Hosanna, what does it mean? I often thought, just in ignorance, I thought it was, a, it was like a name. Like Hosanna was a name for Jesus. But actually Hosanna is an exclamation. It's a crying out. And it means, oh, save. So you just picture somebody there. They wouldn't do this calm, cool, and collected. They're crying out, oh, save. It's an exclamation of adoration. It's an entreaty. It's a prayer. It's a beseeching the Lord. I pray you rescue us. I pray defend us. I pray you, Lord, get victory. Save us now. It's, it means praise the Lord from the highest heavens. So there's this combination of the thought of the word Hosanna of both beseeching the Lord, deliver, save, rescue us, do it now, Lord, we're desperate. And at the same time, an adoration and praising the Lord for this, praising the Lord for his salvation and his rescuing. And so Jesus, uh, as he rode into Jerusalem on this donkey, the colt that never had a man sit on it before, the people cried, Hosanna. As he entered into Jerusalem, he's riding the colt, and it was all in fulfillment of prophecies. All, all the prophecies that were given. And all of this, y'all, was customary. It's interesting, and the Bible ties all together. It just brings all these loose threads that we think are loose threads and sews them together. And the final picture is Jesus. And it's his plan of salvation, his plan of redemption, and what he has for his people. But this was customary. The waving the palm branches and so forth and the, it was customary for a parade that honored great princes and conquering heroes. A conquering hero. And we have a different kind of conquering hero. He came meek and lowly, right? But we have a conquering hero nonetheless. He was riding into Jerusalem where just in a few days from that moment, he was going to lay down his life for the sins of the world to purchase our redemption. He would and he has conquered death and sin and its consequences and its power from our life. He would come and destroy the works of the devil. I always think it's interesting, and I know I say it often, but so many people that I would say don't know the Lord, they like to make the Bible say what they want it to say and Christ say what they wanted him to say. What, what did Jesus come for? Oh, he was just one of many uh, religious leaders and pious leaders to show us a better way or so forth. He was a wonderful teacher and a rabbi and he gave us an example of what men could be and so forth. But he said, I came to seek and save the lost. He said, I came to lay down my life as a ransom for all. He said, I came to destroy the works of the devil. He is a conquering hero. Amen. He came and he conquered in a different way. And so all of it was befitting that they're waving the palm branches and he purchased eternal redemption for us. Amen. He, our Lord conquered, but he conquered in a different way, in an eternal way, in a much better way. But this donkey is also significant, y'all. 
the, the, we, we just think, okay, he rode a donkey, no big deal. But it was customary for Old Testament kings, if they were riding a horse and coming to a town, they were coming for battle. They meant they were coming to conquer. If a king was riding or a prince was riding a horse in the Old Testament, he's coming to take that city. He's coming to bring, declare war and battle. But when a king or a prince in the Old Testament was riding a donkey, it represented the king is bringing peace. The king is bringing peace. And Jesus came. Amen? We have peace with God. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with our with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It says in Colossians chapter 1 that He has made peace through the blood of His cross. Specifically, that's how He did it. He has made peace through the blood of His cross to reconcile all things by Himself unto Himself. There's a reconciliation. Why does there need to be reconciliation? Where it means to, for two parties that are estranged or separated to be brought back together in unity and in, in, in oneness. And Jesus has purchased our redemption by His blood. He has reconciled us by the blood of His cross. So He's riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. He knew what He was doing. We didn't have time to read it all, that part, but uh, we know that Jesus said, told two of His disciples, go and you find this colt. It'll be a such and such a place where two streets are, are intersect and the donkey will be tied up there. Never has a man sat on this donkey before. And I want you to loose him and bring him to me. And if anybody says, what, what do you do? Loosen the, what do you mean? Loosen the colt. You say to them, the Lord has need of them. And he'll let you bring them. And it happened exactly like that. And they said, what are you doing? Loosen the colt. The Lord has need of him. And they brought the colt. They let him bring it. God had it all from the foundation of the world. He had a donkey lined up. I mean, seriously, that never a man wrote on. If you tell me he's not in control of our lives and what's going on, he had a donkey that never, he going to make sure nobody sat on it before he sat on it. And even what he would tell the people if anybody questioned him. It happened exactly like he said. And so you could say that Jesus Christ intentionally fulfilled these prophecies. He did. They didn't just happen to fall out that way. He intentionally fulfilled these messianic prophecies and from Zechariah 9, which we're going to read in just a moment, and the crowds acknowledged him. He fulfilled the messianic or the prophecies about the Messiah's first coming because he is and was that. And he was acknowledged by the people. The words that they were saying were messianic terms when they're saying the son of David and, and the names that they were using. This enraged the Pharisees, again, for time's sake, we don't have time to read all of it, but you can read it in all four Gospels. It enraged the Pharisees. They said, told, tell, you know, Jesus, tell, tell the, the people to be quiet. And, uh, but they were using the term. So he rides in to Jerusalem and he was, the Bible says in Isaiah that he was despised and rejected of men. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. And he, but he, you never say, you can never say that he never claimed to be the Messiah. And I've heard that argument too. Well, Jesus never actually claimed to be God. He claimed to be God all through the Bible. You just have to read your Bible. He claimed to be the Messiah. 
He rode on a donkey and they waved palm branches. They acknowledged him as as the Savior of the world and the long-awaited Messiah. He didn't say, no, no, I'm not that. John the Baptist said, no, I'm not that. But Jesus received the praise. He says, worship God. And he received worship as the Lord. He claimed all through the Bible to be the Messiah. You can't say like the Pharisees, if you're really the Savior and the Messiah, give us a sign. Well, how many signs does he have to give? I've been told, I have not studied every one of them. I've read them, I have them, that there are 66 major, no doubt, no brainer prophecies about the, the coming of Messiah the first time. Jesus' first coming. Old Testament prophecies that were given that he specifically fulfilled to the T. And about 270 other sort of ramifications of that that were fulfilled. Nobody else ever did that. Nobody else could ever do that. He claimed to be the Messiah. And y'all, he, it was the time had come for Jesus to present himself openly. Openly. Now, every, all his ministry was out in public. Okay, he did what he did publicly. He healed people in multitudes and preached publicly. But to actually present himself as the Messiah, the time had come. And I want to read this. If you're taking notes, Zechariah 9 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. So this is a, a time of rejoicing. O daughter of Jerusalem. That's specific, Jerusalem, right? Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. Not a king, your king, cometh unto thee. He is just, having salvation. But they cry, Hosanna, O save now. Your king's coming unto you. Just, having salvation. Lowly, and riding upon an ass, upon, and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Everybody did not understand, like that song, El Shaddai. Though the people couldn't see what Messiah ought to be, they didn't. They were, there were blinders on for the most part, but he still came and fulfilled it. The Bible says that even his own disciples didn't understand at, at the moment that it was taking place. They were all probably caught up in it, but they didn't really get it and see it as a fulfillment. I just want to read this from John uh, in his account of the triumphal entry. These things understood not his disciples at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, then remember they, they, these, that these things were written of him and that they had done these things unto him. After he was raised from the dead and glorified, then they started to understand and piece it together. And it's just amazing, y'all. But I want to talk about this day for just a moment. Do y'all know that this day, this Palm Sunday, not our Palm Sunday, but the Palm Sunday, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, this day was ordained from the foundation of the world. It's not just one of the little uh, tidbits of information that we get through to get to the cross or to get to the, the burial and the resurrection. It is an important day. And I want to share this with you. You probably have studied this. or heard many of you have heard. But Daniel prophesied of this day. Daniel in the Old Testament in Babylon and in, in, under, under the time of the Babylonian captivity. And I want to read this from Daniel 9, 29. Know therefore and understand. So the Lord wants us to know it and understand it. It's not veiled, it's secret. That from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem. Start, the clock starts ticking then. From the commandment, 
for the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. That's 62 plus seven, 69 weeks. The streets shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. You know what this prophecy is speaking of? Daniel was living in captivity. Israel had been uh, and Judah had been taken captive. The temple had been burned and destroyed. The walls had been destroyed. The city was destroyed. It was a big pile of rubble. That's what it was. And God has given this prophecy in Daniel's day that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem. That's very specific, not just the temple. Because the temple was actually built before that in Ezra's day. The, the, the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem again. That would be the city. That would be the walls. Who was living at the time? Who was the man that God used? Nehemiah, right? Nehemiah. And we could read it. We just don't have time to read it this morning. But it's a wonderful study. Beginning, Nisan the first. This is just amazing to me. It, it, it really is. Beginning, Nisan first. 445 B.C. King Artaxerxes, who was a Persian king at the time of the captivity, gave commandment to rebuild Jerusalem. It's in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. He was a Hebrew. He had been taken captive. Maybe he was born in captivity and lived there. And he hears word from some passers-by, some of his Hebrew brothers. Hey, what's, what's it like back in Jerusalem? Oh, it's a city of reproach. It's laying in waste. The walls are rubble. There's no defense. The, the city's just in ruins. It's a real shame. Nehemiah has this great burden. He goes before the Lord and prays and fasts. He goes before the king and the king says, you look sad, what's going on? If you look sad in the king's presence, the king could have had him killed. I don't need to press people around me. But he found favor and he asked if he could go back and and visit the people and be used in this way. And the Bible, and the, the commandment was given in Nehemiah 2, 1 through 8. Nisan, the first 445 BC, to go rebuild the city, Jerusalem, which God used Nehemiah to do. Specifically, the wall we read about. And restore the temple worship and everything the way it was supposed to be. The clock starts ticking then. 69 weeks. All the Bible scholars say it's weeks, and it's used this way in the Bible, so it's not a stretch, okay? Weeks can be a week of years. It's spoken of as a week being a, a period of seven years. 69 weeks of years. That would be 69 years, 69 times seven years. The Jewish uh, year is, is uh, 360 days. And so you mark it to the day exactly 483 years. That's 69 weeks of years. On Nisan the 10th, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on, on this Palm Sunday. And he was hailed as the Messiah. But people, to, to be honest with you, for the most part, didn't even realize what was going on. And yet the crowds were crying out. Hosanna, O oh, say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. It's really difficult to understand exactly what the crowd thought about Jesus. Did they truly understand this prophecy and that Jesus was that person? Or did they just think, I don't even think the Jewish people as a whole understood the whole thought of Messiah. 
they thought Messiah was going to come and set up an earthly kingdom. He's going to throw off Roman oppression. We're ready for that. And I'm sure they were ready for that. Laboring under that. Throw the Roman oppression from off of us and set us free as a nation. They didn't even understand His purpose of first coming. Which if we read Isaiah 53 and other scriptures, we would understand that the sins of the world were put upon Him. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And so forth. But we know for, for a fact that the majority had no real understanding and no real heart devotion to Christ. Well, how can you say that? Because many of these same people just a few days later were saying, crucify Him. What shall I do with Jesus, Pilate said, who is called the Christ? Crucify Him. Well, you were just singing Hosanna. You were just waving palm branches. What do you want me to do? Let me give you another chance, Pilate said. What do you want me to do with him? I find no guilt in him. Crucify him. His blood be upon us. Pilate washes his hands and says, I want you to know I'm free from the blood of this innocent man. And they said, no, we, you give us Barabbas and crucify Jesus. And so obviously they didn't understand the fullness of it. And Jesus wept outside of Jerusalem in between this Palm Sunday and the time He was crucified. This is a little short period of time. Days. Just a few days. And He said, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, you shall not see Me henceforth till you say, Blessed is He that cometh in the name of the Lord. That's talking about His second coming when He would come again. And guess what? They're going to understand when He comes a second time. The whole nation missed him. You could say the whole world missed him at his first coming and didn't understand. But they will understand. Surviving Israel will understand at the second coming when he's riding that white horse and has a vesture dipped in blood. And he comes back, they're going to know. They're going to know. And they're going to say, Hosanna then. They're going to say, Blessed. Oh, save. Oh, help us, Lord. And He's going to save and help them. And so when... I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 118. Now, we could read the whole psalm. This whole psalm is what is called a Messianic psalm. Okay, so it's foretelling Jesus' first coming. It's loaded with prophecies and, and figures and types um, about Jesus' first coming, which was a long way off at the time when David wrote this. This is a psalm of David. It's also called a royal psalm. And this is something I learned that, it, that this psalm and parts of it, I think the whole thing was sung at the feast and still is at the celebration of the Passover. They sing this psalm, Psalm 118. And they actually have the chief musician, like in David's day it was Asaph, they would sing a line, solo line, and the people would sing the next line as a congregation. It's just interesting to, to know that. But it spoke of Jesus' first coming. And I want you to read. And we're going to read, just read a few verses of it, starting in 22. Verse 22. The stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. That's that day. I, I, I know He's made every day, but I think He's speaking about 
Just this praise of the Lord on that day. Save now, that's their Hosanna. You see this? Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. God is the Lord, which has showed us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords, even unto the horns of the altar. And so here comes Jesus riding into Jerusalem on that day that Daniel had prophesied on that perfect day. He's riding a donkey, not a horse. He's bringing peace, not to come conquer the city. He's coming to conquer death and hell and bring peace and salvation to men. And they're praising him and the builders rejected him. He's the living stone, the living stone. And it's the foolish builders that rejected him. And God affirmed that this was his man. God the Father affirmed Jesus Christ is the one. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And he confirmed it all in that specifically he raised him from the dead, which we're going to celebrate next Sunday. But God set him where he is and hid in him all the precious promises and things of the eternal covenant are all hid in Christ. And they're all available for us. And, and there the Lord is going to remain in that position that His Father put Him in. The foundation, I'm reading from one pastor, says the foundation of all of our hopes, the glory of all our joys, and the bond of our, all of our fellowship is all bound up in Jesus Christ. They didn't know what they were saying. They didn't know what a king they did have that was riding into Jerusalem on that day. Not just a king to throw off Roman oppression, but it conquered death and hell and set men free. I want to read what one minister says about this, this passage about the stone being rejected. He's the chief cornerstone. Christ Jesus is the stone. There is no firmness but in Him. Christ is the fundamental stone. There is no building but on Him. He is the cornerstone of all reconciliation. There is no reconciliation but in Him. It's all in Christ. Amen? It's all in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so David wrote this psalm. You could say David was a type of Christ. There are lots of types of Christ in the Bible. He was, he was uh, a man after God's own heart, right? And he conquered Goliath and he did what he did in the name of the Lord. He did what he needed. Goliath said, you know, David said to Goliath, you come to me with sword and shield, not come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the Lord God of hosts. He was a type of Christ. Joshua was a type of Christ that brought the people in across the Jordan River and into the promised land. Moses was a type of Christ and shepherd of Israel, like our good shepherd and intercessor. There are many, but Christ was not like any of them in one sense that he was sinless and perfect. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world in these terms. And they were used in this Psalm 118 and what we just read, the one who comes or the coming one. We just think, OK, somebody's coming. You know, those are specific names for the Messiah. When, when, when John the Baptist was baptizing people in the Jordan River, the Pharisees, who had no intention of repenting, had no intention of submitting to John's bapt baptism and humbling themselves or preparing their hearts for Messiah, they came out and said to John, are you that one? Are you that prophet? Are you that one that should come? He said, no, I'm not. I'm not worthy. I'm the one making straight his paths. I'm just one sent one to, to announce the coming of the Lord, to prepare the way for the Lord. 
There's one coming after me who's mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. He's speaking about Jesus Christ. John the Baptist even, when he was arrested by Herod and his ministry had been fulfilled, and he sends two of his disciples. You go ask Jesus, are you the one that should come? Or do we look for another? That's a specific name. Are you that one that should come? Are you that Messiah? You go tell John what you've seen. What have they seen? The miracles that they had seen. Multitudes that would fill this church and beyond. And he's touching every one of them. And every one of them is healed. And everybody that's been demon-possessed, the demons are cast out. You go tell him. Go back and tell John. Because ain't nobody else ever done that, done that before. What you've seen and heard. And blessed is he who's not offended. John had a moment of weakness, you would say. But I don't think he stayed in it. Amen? When he heard about that. Jesus wasn't like those types, but he wasn't like those types. He was perfect. It was all fulfilled in Jesus and in Christ alone. It ends with Him. You don't have to look anywhere else. Y'all, if you're searching, don't search anywhere else. That's what, that's what uh, Philip went and found Nathaniel, right? We found Him. Of whom the prophets spoke. Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We found Him. We don't have to look any further. Stop looking. We found Him. Jesus alone. He is Alpha and Omega. And I want to encourage us tonight. The point of this message that the Lord has put on my heart is for me. It's for you. Is let us not be like the crowd on that Palm Sunday in Jerusalem. That shouted their hosannas. Rightfully so. One moment. And then shouted crucify him the next. That would, as James says, bless God, even the Father, with our mouths and curse men made in the image of God. Let us not be like those that say, I love God. And yet in our words and in our actions, we deny the Lord the next moment or the next day. I've done it before. I had to repent more times than I care to admit. But we don't we don't have to live that way. I don't want to be like that crowd of people. Hosanna in the highest. They're saying the right thing. You take a snapshot there. He says, wonderful saints of God. It's the same people in the crowd. They were just as easily persuaded by the, by the, the elders of the churches, of the, the Pharisees, to cry out for Barabbas' release and to crucify the Lord. Let's not be like those that identify with Christ when we're happy, when we're feeling spiritual, when God seems to be answering every prayer right away, just like we want it. We'll praise God. But as soon as things turn contrary to us, we're to abandon the Lord. We abandon His church. I'm giving up on this. We don't want to be... God's not called us to live that way. We're not of those, Paul said, that, that uh, draw back unto perdition. But we're those that continue in the faith to the saving of the soul. That's who we are and what God's called us to be. We're not just to praise the Lord when things are going wonderfully. And it looks like they probably thought he's getting ready to ride in. 
and be our king and throw off these Romans and we won't have to uh, carry the burdens of another centurion walking down our street and we'll be through with all of that stuff. And a few days later, they're crying, crucify him. His praise is to continually be in our mouth. Not just when it looks great. And when like in, in our life is blessed beyond measure in our circumstances. I want to read this. I'm going to read it myself from Psalm 72. He shall spare the poor and needy and shall save the souls of the needy. He shall redeem their soul from deceit and violence and precious shall their blood be in his sight and he shall live and to him shall be given the gold of Sheba. Prayer also shall be made for him continually and daily shall he be praised. Daily shall he be praised. Not Hosanna on this Sunday, but crucify him come Thursday. Not that. We're to live for God. His praise is to be on our mouth continually. But I think it's amazing. We've talked about Daniel's prophecy that on this day, in the fullness of time, Jesus sent forth His Son, it says in Galatians, right? Born of a woman to redeem them that were under the law. But all, everything was done in the fullness of time. That Palm Sunday was in the fullness of time. Do you know that Jesus Christ was going to be praised on that day? There was no getting around it. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. We're going to be bringing this to a close, but Luke, Luke 19, 37. And when He was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. And this, this is an amazing thing too. That just shows the sovereignty of God. That He is in such complete control. But even men that didn't fully know Him and would reject Him. He, he was rejected of men, the Bible say. On this day, on that day and at that moment and on that little donkey and wait, riding into Jerusalem on that day, He was going to be praised. He was going to be praised. It was a fulfillment of prophecy. He was riding in as the coming King. Bringing peace, meek and lowly. But yet thy king rejoice, O daughter of Jerusalem. Thy king cometh unto thee. And he, they were rejoicing. Didn't even know what they were doing for the most part. Rejoicing and worshiping the Lord. It was ordained for Almighty by Almighty God, and nothing could stop it. Nobody could stop it, and they didn't stop it. All that all of hell couldn't stop Jesus from being praised on that day. He was praised and magnified as the coming Savior. And I'm going to just ask this question in closing. Will we praise Him in our day? This is a simple thought. Will we praise Him in our day? Will we praise our Messiah and Savior on this day and in this place? Are we going to allow rocks and stones to cry out? Because He said, if these people are not going to praise Me today, on this particular day, at this moment, I would, God would cause these rocks to cry out. There would be praise coming, I promise you. 
it would be there would be praise coming. And I say, do we want to let the rocks and stones cry out, or do we want to lift up our praises to the Lord, our hosannas to the Lord? Y'all, there's not another king coming after him. There's nobody else that we're waiting for to come along. It says in Acts two in Peter's. On the day of Pentecost in Peter's sermon, therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God had made that same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Period. That's him. That's him. He's the one that all the all the prophecies pointed to. God has made him that. Jesus Christ is the King of Kings. He is the coming King. He came once and he's coming again. And, and we're looking for him to come again the second time. Jesus Christ alone fulfilled all the prophets, all the prophecies written about him, all of the scriptures, all of the righteousness of the law, everything. It was all fulfilled in him. Jesus said, search the scriptures. He challenges the, he challenged the Jews in his day. Search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. All of it. Genesis to Revelation. It all speaks of Christ. Okay? It all speaks of Christ. And, and this thought, again, and I'm close with this to even come up, but the, the whole thought of this word Hosanna is one of praise and adoration at the same time of imploring the Lord, beseeching the Lord to save. But another term, another meaning of the word Hosanna is let God let our King reign. Let our King reign. And I thought, Lord, reign in our church. Reign in my heart. Reign in my life. Sanctify me. Set me free. Uh, all of those things need to be our prayers. Even though we're born again, there needs to be a prayer for the world today and for our nation and the time in which we're living. And I want to close with this, this Scripture. This picture the, the Palm Sunday, what was really taking place there and waving the palm branches and so forth and remembering that the palm branches are a symbol of peace and rest after adversity or, or tiring trial. In Revelation chapter 5, this will be uh, way down the road. Okay? It says, And I beheld, John says, I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth on, upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and forever. All the blessing and all the honor is to, to the Lord. I don't want to have stones and rocks cry out for me. And I also don't want to be the one that sings my hosannas on a Sunday and grumbles on my, under my breath on a Monday. I want to live for God. I want to be joyful. His praise should continually be in my mouth. One more scripture. You can stand, y'all. He's playing. You stand, but the altars are open. I want to read this from Revelation. After this, I beheld and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes. And we're told specifically in the Bible that the white robes is the righteousness of the saints. 
He has robed us in that righteousness when He made us clean from our sin with His own blood and says, I'm robing you in my righteousness. And, and it says, and palms in their hands, reading from Revelation 7, and they cried with a loud voice saying, salvation to our God which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. Can we praise Him in His house this morning? Can you find a place and come and praise, bow your heart before the Lord and kneel before the Lord and give Him your hosannas. Lord, our hosannas, God, they're ready. Lord, our hosannas, we come with our hosannas in our lips. Hosanna to God in the highest, Lord God. And we praise our great God and our King. And we're not going to have rocks and stones crowd in our place. We're going to do it ourselves. We're the redeemed of the Lord and we're going to say so, God. And we want to live a life, God, that praises you, that gives you the praise and adoration that's worthy of you, Lord God, on Sunday. And we want to do it again on Monday. I pray you pour out your spirit upon us. I pray you fill us with the Holy Ghost, Lord Jesus, in this house, God. Lord, we're not rejecting the stone that you have sent. We're, we're building our foundation upon this, this cornerstone. We're building our lives upon Jesus Christ, Lord. And we pray that our praise would rise to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Can you find a place and meet with the Lord and worship the Lord this morning? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you.